Welcome to this week's Sports to Business podcast with featured guest Dr. Nick Bontis, President of Canada Soccer. Welcome folks to the Sports to Business podcast where we chat with executives and athletes on leveraging the principles in sports to win in the world of business. Dr. Bontis is an award-winning academic researcher, chair of strategic management at DeGruy School of Business, and most recently appointed as president of Soccer Canada, a management consultant, professional keynote speaker. He's been around the world and has consulted for many businesses, and he was an all-star soccer player at the University of Western Ontario, winning a lot of records. On this podcast, we discuss how Dr. Bontis' career started back when he was at the University of Western Ontario and the impact that soccer had on his corporate and teaching career. How Dr. Bontis was able to handle corporate consulting and teaching and build a career out of both that is close to spectacular. We also chat about some advice that students should be taking from Dr. Bontis on how they can build a super strong career post-pandemic. He also talks about what student athletes should be doing right now given a loss in play for one year during the pandemic and how they should be looking at their outlook. And he also talks about what effect soccer has had on corporate environments and advice for executive teams on how to manage teams and win in business by leveraging principles from sports. Everyone remember to follow Dr. Bontis on all social media accounts and visit his website at nickbontis.com. Let's jump in with the one and only in a super packed, high enthusiastic, high energy episode with the one and only Dr. Bontis. Welcome to the Sports to Business podcast. Today we have Dr. Nick Bontis, someone that I've known for the past more than the past decade. So Dr. Bontis, I'm going to do, I'm going to try my best to do an introduction for you. So let me know how this goes. Okay. Award-winning academic researcher, chair of strategic management at DeGruy School of Business, recently appointed president of Soccer Canada, management consultant, director of Institute for Intellectual Capital Research, professional keynote speaker, handpicked by UN, Microsoft, IBM, Accenture, and others. You have a dozen research teaching awards, and McLean's has identified you as one of Mac's most popular business professors, and most recently recognized as a 3M National Teaching Fellow. And... Before I finish, you're an all-star varsity soccer player at University of Western Ontario. How did I do? So you did great. Here's the five bucks, man. Thanks, thanks for the plug. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 uh, I'm currently not a, a star soccer player. I mean, that's the truth. You can tell from, from, my, uh, from my older age. But I'm yeah. still playing old-timers, obviously, when we're back on the field. Um, you know, I'm trying to keep as fit and active as possible. But... I think you nailed it. I mean, the spheres of my world uh, overlap between obviously my role as a professor yep. at the business school at McMaster, uh, my role at Canada Soccer, and then of course, uh, other businesses that I'm involved with, including, as you said, speaking and consulting and, and, and other consulting work. So it, it, it's all yeah, one yeah. big melange. Now you're also coaching soccer as well, right on the side? I was coaching. Yes. I mean, I, I went from my uh, national licenses. Uh, obviously you were trying to professionalize uh, coaching in this country, which is not easy because most most coaches start as parents of little kids. You know, little Johnny at five years yeah, old uh, yeah. needs mommy and daddy to to coach his little soccer team, and that's how I started. Uh, but then I soon uh, went after my uh, my national licenses, um, and specifically, I was coaching my two boys when they were younger, Charlie mm -hmm. and Dino. They've obviously outgrown me and my capabilities. Uh, they went off to Toronto FC Academy. Uh, awesome. So I stopped coaching, but that's when I transitioned into the administrative side of things. So 
what are you doing right now? I know you're a president of Soccer Canada. You're at Mac. You're speaking. Right. So what are you doing in your life, Nick? So three things uh, that I'm doing simultaneously. Uh, obviously, I'm chair of the uh, strategy department in the business school at Mac. So uh, right now, today, I'm working on annual performance reviews for 2020 uh, cool. as chair for the faculty that are working in the strategy department that report to me. Uh, we're redesigning curriculum. We're planning for September uh, next year in terms of what we're doing with courses. And of course, I'm mentoring some some junior faculty member. And I'm, this morning, I was working on a couple of research papers that, that I want to get published. Uh, on the Canada soccer side, I, um, I was elected uh, in late 2020, and I had my first board meeting this past weekend. So I'm working with our board to move our strat plan forward. Uh, we're coming through a new strat plan cycle. Uh, we had to approve the budget for 2021 because obviously our men's and our women's national team uh, are going to increase their uh, their play, uh, assuming the pandemic uh, plays nice, nice with us, of Love course. And it. then on the uh, third pillar, uh, you know, I'm still doing a lot of keynote speaking and consulting work. Obviously, the keynote speaking business has transitioned to a virtual world, which is quite interesting because uh, it's different. You know, speaking on stage to a thousand employees, let's say, and trying to motivate them. Uh, is very different than speaking on Zoom and trying to maintain that dynamism and that interactivity. So uh, working hard on, on that front. You're busy and you're adjusting well. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm adjusting well. I think my <laughs> wife would say something different. My, my kids would say something different. But obviously, given the pandemic, yeah. you know, we're all trying to do the best we can. Uh, there's five people in my household, my wife and three kids. All of us are on Zoom, high definition, full time, all day. So you can imagine the... Uh, oh. The Wi-Fi is getting a workout, uh, yeah. but that's the nature of, uh, of the new work that we're dealing with. I remember back in 08, and this is a story uh, you know, I wanted to share. I remember in 08 when I started my, my career at Mac. So my first year training camp, you know, I was in commerce and, and you were the chair. Uh, I remember we were walking out of the, it was after training camp, and we were walking out of the Commons building with our team. And I think it was Coach um, Frank, who was a recruiter. And he, he, he pulled me aside. And we we're in front of the DSB building. He's like, you see that car over there, Tanvir? And it was a <laughs> Nissan 350Z, right? And, and he's like, that car is a really expensive car. And, you know, and here I am, this, this kid, first year, just, you know, like dark from training camp. And I'm just like, I don't care. He's like, that car is Nick Bontis' car. And that's someone you want to aspire to be like because he's done really well at Mac. And, and that's the first time I heard about you. And I think then I was in your class. Uh, when we had the clickers where you, it wasn't right. for any, it wasn't for, um, for course, it wasn't for any marks, but you had to show up. Yeah. And that was the first time. And it was a great story from, from coach. And then, you know, that was really how I got acquainted on, on how, how crazy and how much work you've done in your career. And it's really an aspiration. So I just wanted to make sure I share that. Well, thank you. Thank you for that feedback. Obviously I try to interact with my students as much as I can. Uh, you know, I was one of the very uh, few professors that was actually still teaching on campus this past fall, wow. as you know, McMaster moved to an online environment uh, because of the pandemic, but the university gave permission to a handful of courses to continue. Um, I, you know, that's what I love to do. I want to interact and I want to mentor students. And obviously when it comes to the varsity uh, athletes, I'm very close to, Yep. obviously you mentioned the soccer team, you know, having been a former uh, varsity soccer player and varsity track athlete myself, uh, varsity athletes, uh, you know, they, they, they've, uh, uh, they've got to be very impressive to survive in a university environment, because in addition to the workload of school and perhaps having a part time job, uh, you know, they're also training uh, and competing every day and every weekend. So I feel for them having gone through it. So maybe that's why, uh, you know, I, uh, I interacted with you more yeah. than I would normal.
Yeah, no, I'm grateful for that. Uh, so, so let's let's kick it off there then. Sure. How did your university career prepare you for all the great things you've done in your life? Yeah, so. You know, I've always kept busy because that's how I've always been. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, you go back to high school. I grew up in Scarborough. I played every sport there was at our high school. I played soccer. I played basketball. I was a point guard. Uh, I ran uh, I ran track. Obviously, I'm a long jumper. Uh, I played squash. Uh, you know, so I was always busy with sports. Uh, it was an outlet for me. Uh, you know, then I went to Western, obviously, for, for my undergrad. I continued in the business school, and I played soccer and ran track there. So I think you got to keep busy. This is the type of thing that I want to instill in my children too, because I think Tanvir, you'll agree with me that the one thing that you're going to remember in your university experience is the stuff that you did. You're not going to remember a lecture or a professor. I guarantee you that I don't, yep. I'm going back 30 years now, but I do remember the people that I met, you know, through my soccer, my track, you know, through my music, let's say. So I think extracurricular activities are very important. They, they round out an individual they make you interesting, right? So when people are hiring you, and this is advice for all university students, you know, they're, they're going to hire you based on, okay, what you know, but that everybody's got the same thing. Everybody took the same course. Everybody's got the same content. What's going to make you unique is you as an individual. Can, can you interact with the person, with your colleagues? And, and, and that's where sports and music and drama and art come in. And it's also, I think, for me, it was the relationships, right? A lot of people that I met in university are now interacting with me in very different ways yeah. that I never knew I would still keep in touch. The football you know, team and even others that, you know, because you were interesting, you kind of got to know others. Yeah. Because you were at practice. Maybe you were always in, in, in the rehab room, but maybe you met somebody there because you're always hurt. Yeah. Right? It's true. I mean, it, it, people that, so, I mean, I, I, at my age right now, people that I interact with today, you know, came from different parts of my life, right? They, they, some of them were from high school, very few still. Uh, you know, then you go to university, some were from the business school, some were from soccer, some were from track. You know what, Tanvir, I'm going to tell you, uh, we live in a social media world. I, I'm an elderly individual and I know the young folk, they think Facebook is for old people. But yeah. I tell you, thank God for Facebook, because it's because of Facebook that I still have a relationship with a lot of those people you talked about. Right. Different aspects of your life. It, it, it's, it's Facebook that actually keeps you connected in, in interesting ways to those people. Yeah. I mean, social media isn't bad as long as you know how to use it properly yeah. and, and you're responsible. Right. Yeah, of uh, course. Well, I can tell you my kids, they, they're, they've got a different type of uh, addiction to different types of social media. Uh, they've introduced me to TikTok, for example. My yeah. God, I mean, you can't put that thing down. It, it, it has been pre-programmed scrolling. to serve you the videos that they know that you want, right? So I think you're 100% right. The, yeah. the, there's a time and place for everything, and you got to be careful. So what did you do after star graduating university? You were a star soccer player. You had all this amazing, you know, you, you, you did really well in school. You, you had athletics behind you. How do you start your career? How do you know where to go? What was the direction you took? So obviously after, after my undergrad, after my business school degree, um, you know, I was looking for a job through the business school. I mean, obviously I, I, I found a job at CIBC. So I was working uh, as a securities analyst uh, for many years. So, uh, you know, went back and lived with my parents in Scarborough. It's not, there's nothing wrong with university students going back to live with their parents in their undergrad because I saved so much money. I mean, you know, I, I didn't have to pay obviously for for food and I was still living with my parents, clothing, transportation. I was taking the GO train. So I was saving a lot of money. 
And saving that money allowed me to kind of establish a foundation for myself, put me in a comfortable position, right? So I worked at CIBC for many, many years, made a lot of contacts there. It was a, it was a baptism of fire in the financial services industry, learned about mutual funds and investing in stocks. So that was a great experience. Fast forward, I wanted to go back to grad school. I knew that an undergrad was probably not going to be enough given what I wanted to do. And I enjoyed school. And to be completely honest with you, Tantanver, I don't tell a lot of people this, but I wanted that fifth year of eligibility. You know what I mean? So we are lucky here in Canada. We get that extra year. So I went back and, and I played an extra year of soccer and I ran uh, an extra year of track and it, it was awesome. So I finished with my PhD. And at the time, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I'll be honest. Was I going to go stay in academia? Most PhDs you do your PhD to stay in academia, right? But sometimes you don't. People will go into industry, they'll go into practice, they'll go into consulting. And right until the last uh, second, I remember uh, with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, deciding. And in the end, I had a choice. Do I go, you know, consulting with a brand new upstart company in California or do I stay here in academia? And obviously, you know, which route I picked was to stay yeah. here at Mac. But the best part about that decision is staying here at McMaster. Now, obviously, fast forward 30 years later, it has afforded me to still be a consultant anyway. So it's the best of both worlds. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's never it's never black and white. I think a lot of a lot of young students even like, you know, they talk to me and they're like, well, should I do this role or should I do that yeah. role? And I'm like, you know, just just pick one and go because it's never black and white. No. And you know what? It's going to change. I mean, let me be the first person to say, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up still. So don't think that I'm settled in my ways. I mean, had you asked me a few years back that I'd be president of Canada soccer, I'd be, what are you talking about? I don't see that in me. So things change and they should, right? That's what keeps life interesting. Uh, keeps you going, right? So for young people, the advice should always be, you know, you want to land at an organization that can act as a springboard to the next opportunity that you might have, right? The average university graduate may only stay at their first job for two years at most, right? So you always have to think ahead as to what your next opportunity might be. So on that same topic, I really want to dive into how you've applied sports into business. But before we get there, just one question for, I know a lot of the students that are going to listen to this episode will have this question. What kind of consulting do you do and how can students leverage their experience at Mac to break into consulting nowadays? Yeah, so the consulting industry obviously is changing fundamentally, you know, not only post pandemic, but also in the digital world as well. You know, in, in the olden days when I was there, um, you know, you were a road warrior, essentially. I mean, you'd be plopped into different organizations trying to solve management problems. A lot of consultants would travel. I traveled extensively, hundreds of thousands of kilometers a year back in the day. Uh, obviously, now that I'm older, uh, obviously with the pandemic, and now I have three young kids too, uh, you can do a lot of this stuff electronically. But the, the secret answer to your question, Tanvir, is inimitability. Let me say the word again, inimitability. You student have to come up with something that nobody else can imitate you are the only person that can do this thing whatever this thing is you've got to create that brand for yourself so if you can survey employees excellent why do you do it better than anybody else if you can reorganize the supply chain excellent why can you do it better than anybody else if you can help develop the intranet for the client excellent why can you do it better than anybody else it's very, very important for students to understand that this is a very, very competitive world and they have to come up with that unique proposition. And that's what I did early on in my career. I really dove into an area 
uh, called Intellectual Capital, which is my area of research, my area of expertise. And I wanted to become the best person on the planet, no holds barred on this topic. I wanted people to say that word and boom, Nick Pontus comes after that word, Intellectual Capital. And that's what I recommend to all my students as well. As you are young and entering in the business world, you're developing this competency, this expertise for yourself so that you can tell other clients or other individuals that you know that topic better than anybody else. Sure, there's a question that, that will come up, and that question will be how broad or how narrow do you go? Sure. How so, that? yeah, I mean, there's always a debate in terms of, you know, generalism versus diving in deep. I'll tell you what I did. I mean, I dove deep because um, I felt that diving in deep uh, resonated with me. And it resonated with me because I was very interested in the topic. I mean, if, if you're not interested in this topic, if you don't dream about it, aren't passionate about them. I've, I've published over, you know, 150 papers on this topic now since. So you got to be deep and you got to love it. And if you don't, then it's better for you to be a little bit broad. You know, some, some organizations are looking for generalists, small businesses, for example, they're looking for generalists. There are so many small businesses right now, all over Ontario and Canada that are struggling because of the pandemic. And you as a student, have an opportunity to lend your services to these entrepreneurs because you know how to put a marketing campaign together. You know how to deal with financial statements. You know how to fix technology. A lot of these entrepreneurs have no clue how to do that. And you know what? I know it sucks and you want to get paid, but guess what? You got to get your foot in the door. Volunteer your time and expertise. Seek Absolutely. out entrepreneurs and say, hey, listen, I'm willing you know, to give you 30 hours of my expertise over the next three months. But in return, I want you to tell every single other person you know how awesome I was, right? That's one way a student can get involved as a consultant. It's going above and beyond. Yeah, you have to. You have to, let me tell you something. In my career, I, I did tons of pro bono work because at the beginning, I didn't have a reputation. I didn't have a brand. I didn't have credibility. So sometimes you have to do that. But when you do do that pro bono work, you've got to deliver a super, super deliverable product because then that client, they will become your biggest cheerleader for the next client. And that's what's happened. Honestly, the way I've been able to secure clients over my career is because of word of mouth. One person told another person told another person, yeah. and you got to start early as a student in doing that. I think it's honing your craft, doing a good job versus even the outreach and the social. I think all of that will fall flat unless you can deliver and 100%. do a good job. Yeah. hundred percent. I sensed a bit of competitiveness there, Dr. <laughs> Bonte. So let's jump into it. Sure. How did soccer propel you in your yeah. career? <laughs> So, I mean, you nailed it, right? This is why a lot of businesses love hiring varsity and elite high-performing athletes because they know that they don't have to teach them how to be competitive. I mean, it's part of your DNA. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it was part of my DNA as a very, very young kid. I mean, I, I would get so upset as a young soccer player, you know, nine, 10 years old, if I lost the game, I mean, it destroyed me, uh, you know, for a week until the next week, I'd be chomping at the bit to play again. So I think that the, the ability to infuse competitiveness is so important. And people need to understand there's a difference between being hyper competitive and being rude and a bad person and not conscientious about other people's feelings. I'm not talking about that. All right? I think you can be hyper competitive while at the same time being respectful for the competition. Another thing that sports has taught me being an athlete is how to lose. So this goes back to being respectful. 
I think that's something else that employers are looking for. I mean, I've been devastated having lost some big, big soccer games. I've been, you know, I, I once made it to the Canadian championships uh, for running long jump and I tore my hamstring on the first attempt. You get six attempts as a long jumper. The first attempt, I didn't even get a chance to jump. I mean, you, you train for hours and hours every day for a year. It's like the old saying about the Olympic hundred meter sprinter. An Olympic sprinter trains four years for a 10 second opportunity, right? To go down the track. And I was devastated, but you know what? This is what sports teaches you. It teaches you how to lose humbly uh, as a noble person. So you know what? How have I translated that? Well, I can tell you on the soccer field, if I lost a game, I went to the team. If they were celebrating in my face, I celebrated with them. Uh, there's a great uh, memory. In fact, uh, one of the former coaches at University of Guelph soccer team, uh, he came on his retirement. He actually reached out to me. I was playing at Western at the time, of course. Guelph beat us in the Ontario Championships. You know, before we go to the Canadian National Championships, we were devastated. They were celebrating like crazy. I walked into their change room when they were celebrating and I shook the hand of every single individual and said, congratulations, it's Guelph's turn. Now make Ontario proud. You guys go as the OUA representative to the national championship. That Guelph coach came back to me, you know, 15, 20 years later and said he never ever forgot me doing that. And all his teammates, his players had never forgotten that. So right. same thing in business, right? In business, we don't have the, you know, the physical one-on-one, -on -one. it's a different type of competition, but make no mistake, we're coming out of the pandemic soon over the next few months, hopefully people are going to increase their level of competitiveness because everybody's going to want to become an entrepreneur again. Everybody's going to ramp up their businesses again. Everybody's going up for the same customers again, and you got to do it in a very respectable but competitive way. So, uh, you know, a couple of things, Tanver, number one, competitiveness, number two, you know, how to lose with respect. And number three, I think, is being coachable. Coachability Very well is another one. It, it, it's, it's a huge one. You know, now, obviously, as president of Canada Soccer, I get a chance to see it from a different perspective. You know, we have, we have some of the best club players on the men's and the women's side who then come into the national team environment. Well, when you're coming into a national team environment, it's a very different uh, environment because you have superstars at their own clubs who now have to kind of not be the superstar anymore because now all the superstars are together on the national team, right? So how does a coach of a national team manage that ability when you have a lot of very, very big egos and it all boils down to coachability, wanting to learn, putting your, you know, your attitude, uh, uh, you know, at the door upon arrival and having that, you know, that grace about you being nice and pleasant to other individuals so that you're coachable. The thing you've seen, and this is, this is great. We have this, this chance to ask you these questions. You've seen this actually pan out over the, over your career of 30 years, right? A lot of students or young students, they'll say, well, if I'm, I don't want to be nice because I have no short-term gain. It's not going to help me right now. How do you convince yourself to actually invest in these things that are not going to give you value right away, but you know, down the road, this is going to make a difference between you and somebody else. You know, I teach the uh, capstone strategy course in fourth year for all graduating yep. students uh, coming out of here, coming out of the degree school at Mac. And a lot of them will call me, you know, months after they've graduated, they'll reach out to me and they'll say, hey, Dr. B, I'm not enjoying myself at this first job. You know, my, my supervisor's an ass, my colleagues, I hate them. Um, you know, what am I doing? Like, what's your advice? This is a very difficult situation. But I need to tell you it happens and it happens more often than not. Here's number one. 
you know, you, as a student, you don't have much power. You're walking into an organization. Let's say you're, you know, you're, you're an accountant at KPMG or you're, you're, you're a bank representative at CIBC, whatever. You're the bottom of the totem pole. Okay, let's be honest. You, you can't sit there and now say, boss, go to hell or colleagues go to hell. <laughs> you're, you're the one trying to develop your reputation. So I got to give tough love. And the tough love is you got to swallow it. It's like an athlete, okay? When you are a rookie, Tanvir, and you come into the varsity team, you are going to get pounded as a rookie. You're the one picking up the dirty socks, the dirty underwear, cleaning up all the dirty crap because that's what you got to do. This is the rite of passage. So I tell students, listen, you've got to make sure that you put the time in. I've told students that I don't think it's appropriate for you to depart too early from that first job, okay? When I say too early, I mean within 12 months. The reason why is it's going to stick on your resume for the rest of your life. You don't want to show everybody and signal to everybody else that you left that first job within a year and you know that it was because you couldn't handle the relationships, right? Relationship management is the most important thing at the end of the day. So that's my advice to young people. You need to find mentors. Perhaps they're not individuals within your unit or your department. If you're working at a big bank like RBC or BMO, your mentor doesn't have to be anywhere in your division. In fact, it's better to have a mentor who's completely removed from your division so that you can seek out that counsel and that advice from that individual. Absolutely. So from talking about relationships then, right? How have you used your competitiveness, your soccer background in developing meaningful relationships? And how do you know what to focus on in your career? I think uh, the best piece of advice that I can give is when, when you're dealing with interactions in an organization, you got to take a 360 approach. The 360 approach means this. Okay, me, obviously, as president, I've got to interact with the people that are my direct reports. And I'm looking down, the people that report to me. But more importantly, I got to interact with the people above me, you know, the board and the people, the stakeholders that I report mm -hmm. to, my sponsors, my partners, right? And then you got to, you know, interact sideways as well. Who, who are your colleagues? Who are the individuals that are helping you get the work done? Because nothing in an organization gets done by one person. In order to get things done in any organization, there's tons of people that have to get involved. So this collaboration is critical and it's a 360 degree collaboration. So that's my advice to young students. You know, when you're collaborating, you need to look upstairs, who are your mentors, your supervisors, sideways in terms of your colleagues. And, you know, you're not going to be probably the only employee that's going to start, you know, in September at the bank. Maybe you started with a cohort. You know, I mean, there's six other people that started with you. Developing that relationship is important as well. And then obviously, when I'm looking down, when you're, you're a brand new employee just graduating out of university, you might not have any direct reports, right? You might not have any mm -hmm. subordinates, but what you will have are customers or suppliers, other individuals, or vendors, yep. yeah, vendors that you've got to deal with. So here's the thing. It takes work. That's number one. Number two, you got to get out. And what do I mean by get out? When you're sending too many emails, when you're making too many phone calls, that's not good enough. That's not old school face-to-face -face socialization interaction tan veer what i'm talking about is breaking bread son you got to break bread with the people that you want to collaborate with because when you're having a meal with somebody sitting across the table you're looking at them eye to eye and you're developing a very very important antecedent i call it rapport rapport you can only develop rapport face-to-face. -face. When you're a meter away from somebody, obviously in a pandemic world, it's two meters away, 
right? But you got to be able to do that. So here's a great piece of advice I have for you, Tanvir, and all your listeners and viewers. If you want to invest, as soon as you start your real job, go to lunch with somebody different every day. That's the best piece of advice I can give you. I'm not saying that you should go to some seven-star restaurant and blow $1,000 on every single person because you can't afford it when you're a young person, right? But what I'm saying is you want to go Dutch, that's fine. I'll pay for my own lunch. You pay for yours. But let's have lunch together. That, I can tell you, is such a great piece of advice, Tanvir, because you know what most of us do right now? Look, man, uh, you know, I'm eating here. I'm eating up my bloody computer. The only thing that knows what I eat every day is my keyboard because all my breadcrumbs are stuck in my damn keyboard. You got to get out, man. You got to break bread. You got to socialize old school. That's the best advice I can give people. That's beautiful. Never eat alone. No, man. No, you can't. And you shouldn't. Especially when you're at work, when you have so many people around you. And if you work in a place where there's nobody around you, then customers, vendors, suppliers, stakeholders, government regulators, there's always people related to your business that you can go out to lunch with. And that's what you should really be doing uh, every day. Every day you have the opportunity. It's, it's really fascinating because the way, if somebody's like, hey, I have no reports or I don't, I don't know anyone, you still have tons of people around you that you can go and meet with. I think for someone to say, oh, you know, I don't know anyone. I think that's just a lame excuse. No. And you know what, Tanvir, you can develop rapport quickly. You mm-hmm. and I, for example, you and I, we haven't interacted in a long time. You sent me an email. You sent me a text. I responded back. Boom. Rapport regenerated up to 100%. It didn't take much effort, did it? There no, you go. There you, you go. That with anybody that you've interacted with, anybody. Beautiful. Let's jump to now the corporate side. So now for the executives, right? Because again, um, you've and I, I can tell that you've really, you know, you soccer Canada as one, but even in the consulting practices, your keynotes, there is a hint of sports analogies, sports, you know, strategy execution. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've actually applied? Let's start with consulting. You've Chosen from the way teams, your soccer teams, pro teams interact, leadership, talent. How have you? I'll give you a perfect example. Now, obviously, we're talking about senior people here in executive positions. Okay. So, managing a team, let's start with that. There's a direct corollary with what I've done at Canada Soccer and what I've done in the business world. Here's a perfect example hiring the men's national coach and hiring the women's national coach. As president, that's my responsibility. John Herdman is the men's national coach. Bev Priestman is the women's national coach. Now, who are they going to select for the people that are going to support them? Physiotherapist, the medical doctor, the sports analyst, the assistant coach. That's their responsibility as far as I'm concerned. I am responsible for the head coach. They are responsible for their own direct reports. I want to give them the independence and the autonomy. If things don't work out, it's on them. They were the ones that had to make the decision. Now, if they want to seek counsel and advice from me, no problem, 100%. I will give them my input as to who who I think they should put uh, on their team. It's the same in the business world. You know, when you're the CEO, your job is to make sure that you put the best team 
together. So I will hire the vice president of human resources. That's my responsibility because the VP of HR, she reports directly to me as a CEO. But when it's time for the VP of HR to hire her own director of compensation, director of benefits, director of performance appraisal, mm -hmm. that's her responsibility. So I think that's a direct takeaway. I think that you can look at sports because it happens in sports. It's a very common approach. You know, you look at organizations where it's the NBA or NHL or even, you know, the MLS baseball, you know, normally it's the president that will hire the head coach. And it's the head coach responsibility then to build his team underneath him or herself underneath her. Right. Same thing happens yeah. in the business world. How do you, so how do you get someone who is, let's say an owner of a business that grew yeah. the business and now it's a multi-million dollar business close to yeah. eight, eight figures who so, is who's still very involved. In yeah. 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 Big problem. Awesome problem to have, though. Mm. Let's be honest. Awesome problem to have. We call this succession planning and the continuity of the business, right? So some of the work that I do relates to entrepreneurs who've done an amazing job. They built the business. It's not that the business is too big now. It's also potentially could be that the, the original founder, that he or she is now at an age where she's looking for an exit strategy. You know, she doesn't want to deal with the headaches of the data operations. And a lot of times they have figured out that their children are not interested in the family business, or perhaps the father and mother yeah. have realized that their children should not. No, we're not capable. <laughs> so I've done some research papers on this exact topic. How do you provide continuity mm. in a succession planning uh, family organization when the children do not want to be part of the business? First and foremost, trust is very, very difficult. You can imagine, okay? There's an inherent trust that you can have with your own children or nieces or nephews, but that trust may not necessarily be there if you're gonna hire a professional or a stranger. And we see many examples of that in business, but what you wanna do is you wanna test that person out. This is a long-term proposition, Tanvir. You can't do succession planning in a year. Succession planning of a family business is a 10-year ordeal, 10 years. You need to hire that person who's gonna take over from you to be your chief operating officer. And that person is gonna be tested for multiple years before you, because you'll still maintain that role as chairman or chairperson of the board, but you want to get out from the day-to-day -day of operations, right? So that COO will move into the CEO position once the father and the mother decide to relinquish their day-to-day -day operations. But it's really about testing that individual over a prolonged period of time and making sure there's clear, a clear understanding of how you want you know, the boundaries of what you're going to do as chair versus what they're going to do uh, as the CEO. So there's no magic bullet to this Tanvir. It takes a lot of time. And I find that even in my role now as president, my job is to make sure that I also figure out the succession planning for when I depart, right? Who will be that person that will take over? Same with the direct reports, the senior executives of Canada Soccer. Same thing. It's the same thing with me as chair, uh, of the department of the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. So uh, last year I was uh, uh, on sabbatical. So for one mm -hmm. year, I couldn't do my job as chair. And it was very important for me to select an individual that I could groom to be a chair for that one year while I was away in case I decide to move on. So you know what, Tanver, this has always been part of my DNA. I even did it, believe it or not, when I was at CIBC at the time. This is going back 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. I knew when I was at CIBC that I was going to go back to grad school and do my PhD. So for six months, I trained my replacement to make sure that awesome. the organization was not going to be in bad shape. And that's, you know, when you, when you care about an organization, you're willing to do that. I also, I've also seen this, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot as well, in sports teams where you know that this year is not the championship team, 
but you are actually building a team for the next three to four years because you know, especially in, even in, in our, my time when I started in 08 at Mac, it was a fresh recruiting class, brand right. new coach. We all knew that if we're going to get, a, get to where we're going to get to in three or four years. Uh, it wasn't going to happen overnight. And I think that exact same principle, you're, you know, if you yeah. apply to business, it's the exact same thing. 100%. Long term. I'll use a perfect example for you. So I, as I mentioned, I got three kids. Three kids. Uh, my older son is in grade 12. So he's actually looking now uh, to university. And he's, you know, he was obviously uh, communicating with a lot of university soccer coaches. He's a soccer player. Uh, and he um, wanted to figure, you know, wh wh where would be the, the appropriate place for him to continue his career. And I told him there, there's one critically important assessment that a young person needs to do about where they want to go to university when they're looking at a coach. And a lot of people don't know this, Tander. The most important question is, what is the stability of that individual at that institution? That's the most important thing you need to figure Absolutely. out because if you think that that person leaves after a year or two, that's halfway through your university tenure. You know, maybe the one coach liked you and, you know, you were a starter and the next coach doesn't. You're no longer a starter. A whole bunch of crazy things can happen, right? So, you know, making sure that you yep. assess the head coach and what their stability is, right? Same thing in business, right? So when I'm looking at, you know, going to a new job and I'm interviewing for jobs, you know, they always ask you that famous question. Are there any questions now that you would like to us ask us? Be, and yeah. my question always 100% of the time is, well, let me talk to you, Miss Boss here. Um, you know, what is your vision? How long do you play to stand stay in this position? How long have you been here? Are you actively looking to, to leave the organization? Now, that, that presupposes that that person is going to be honest with you. They don't have to be. But what it shows is great insight, right? Because that person is like, okay, this person is thinking about the long term. Is look, if I'm going to invest in working for this company, I want to make sure that the person above me is also going to be here for the yeah. long term, right? Because it would suck if all, and, and, and you know, interesting question, Tammy. I was at CIBC for many, many years, but what precipitated my departure from CIBC was when my boss retired. So when my boss retired and then they replaced him, it wasn't the same. You know what I mean? I, it just isn't. So then I was like, yeah, maybe I got to take care of myself now too, right? What happens in sports happens exactly in Touch business. on a great, great, two great points. Number one is if your coach leaves and you were brought in for a great a system and the new coach has a different system, you might not play anymore because your skill set doesn't align to the system. It's not, it's not, right? Let me tell you, I've been around soccer a long time. There have been players, professional players who in one environment can't get a nut, man. There's no opportunity. They can barely get off the bench. They can barely perform. When they do get off the bench and perform, they just don't no. perform as well as they should have because there's so much stress. And, oh, my God, here's my chance, and I got to perform. Then they leave and go to a different club, and they're superstars. It's like, is that the same player that was here at a different club now shining? So environment and relationship with coaching staff is so critical. It's the same in the business world. You got to be in the right environment with the right boss. So that boss wants to take care of you and leverage the best out of you, right? So this last question here, I know we're running late on our podcast here. Doc, what are you Doc, talking about late? I thought we were going to go five hours, man. We just got started. Right, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Keep going. All right. So for a executive or a leader in a yeah. business that is trying to build a great team or maximize the team, especially, I know you've done some work here in disruption. Yes. Disruptive environments, fast paced environments. The old team is not the same team anymore. What do these, what can these leaders learn? 
from the teams of, of, of sports teams that are built with speed. They're built with uncertainty. How can they apply that to maximize their teams to do more with leaner teams and faster and teams that don't cry because of change? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in the sports world, we, we always deal with disruption because we have this thing called injuries, right, in the sports mm-hmm. world, right? So you got, you know, Wayne Gretzky and Michael Jordan get injured. That, that's got implications, right, for your hockey team and your basketball team. In the business world, it's different. We, we don't have injuries per se, but what we have are environmental disruptions, right? So the regulation changes or a, a new upstart competitor, competitor. comes through mm-hmm. or there's, there's a, a, a customer change. I mean, you think a perfect example, Tesla, you know, disrupting uh, the automobile industry, you know, and now having a market cap worth more than all auto manufacturers combined, which is unbelievable, you know, like Airbnb disrupting the hotel industry. So we have lots of examples of businesses that came out of nowhere and disrupted industries. How do you protect yourself as a business person? Number one, paranoia. Mm -hmm. So Andy Grove, the former CEO, founder of Intel, he used to always say, you got to be paranoid about the competition that's there and the competition that's not there. So what does that really mean? It means when you're doing your strat plan, you know, every organization does a strategic plan. I teach strategy. We take so much time in understanding, okay, what are our resources, our competencies, what's our competition, SWOT analysis, right? What we don't do enough time on is understanding what's not out there. Have we dedicated any resources to actually looking ahead, right? To, to the bleeding edge, to you know, understanding what potentially could disrupt us, right? It's the organization. You know, there's so much history of examples of organizations that were disrupted who invented certain critical things in the industry. Yep. You look at Kodak and the Canon company, you know, who invented photography versus who invented digital photography. So in the education world, Tanvir is a perfect example. Here we are. I'm in my office right now at McMaster University. I look outside. There's no cars. Why? Because we're in a bloody pandemic lockdown. You know, we were migrating towards online education. But what did COVID do? Boom. It just disrupted everybody. Forced you. So what could have taken maybe two, three, four, five years, Tanvir, guess what, man? In one week, boom. In March of 2020, everybody on campus was forced to take their course online. So uh, see, this is what happens, man. There's a famous Chinese proverb that chi- that, that crisis breeds innovation, right? There's the crisis that, hap- that happened, the disruption, forcing all of us faculty members to deliver online courses. It was a stressful situation. Everybody was panicking. Yeah. Nobody knew how to do this properly. But guess what? Now we've moved forward many, many years forward, and that's better for us, right? So I think a lot of businesses are going through that disruption through the pandemic and forcing you. And you're right. You can't just be sitting there going, oh, I don't care about this disruption, or I'm going to get invented away, or I'm going to get disrupted away. If you have that attitude, then you might as well stay home because it's going to happen to you anyway. So so is there something that businesses should learn here that say we should almost disrupt ourselves on purpose every three to four years, just like COVID did. Why not? Now, it depends on the nature of the business, of course, right? Like I'm not saying that, you know, certain healthcare providers or if you're, you know, uh, in very sensitive industries that you actually disrupt yourself. But what you should be doing at minimum, Tanvir, is having a small group of your organization specifically tasked with that assignment and have the president and the CEO tell them, you can do whatever you want. I want you to come back to the management team and tell us this is how this organization has changed. This is and have them convince everybody because really at the end of the day, it's going to be the senior management team, you yep. know, the CEO, the president that's going to decide 
whether or not we have the nimbleness to pivot, right? To use a basketball analogy, given the disruption. And we know that very, very lethargic bureaucratic organizations don't have the capability to pivot very, very quickly. But a crisis will force them to pivot quickly. And that was the analogy that I was using with the university. A university is a very, very large bureaucratic organization. But the disruption of the pandemic forced us to pivot very, very quickly. We have to institutionalize that process in our businesses. Great way to put it, because usually what happens is unless a competitor enters your space, so let's say Google starts to come into the right. pharmaceuticals, which they are, the you know, Fortune 500s are not going to move. But if you have someone at the top, you know, that, that's the first part. Someone at the top that is only positioned to go and understand, hey, what's happening? Where's, where are we coming? Where are the competitors? What are the competitors that we don't see, and now let's convince the people, let's get the buy-in, right? That's a great first step. Now, I think the challenge also is convincing the people at the bottom of the organization to then centrally or decentralize the want to change. And I think that's where a lot of the leadership fails to communicate the vision into the missions for the teams, right? And, and a lot of it has to do with self-preservation, Tanvir. I mean, let's be honest, right? Change management is difficult mm -hmm. whether you're on the bottom of the totem pole or, or, or the, the executive at the top. It's difficult. But most people automatically go into self-preservation mode. Is my job okay? Am I still going to yeah. get paid? Can I pay the bills, right? That, 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 those are the most important things people want to take care of. But when you're talking about disruption, you have to understand two things. Number one, it's going to happen inevitably, so you might as well look for it ahead of time when things are still okay, not when you're under pressure and about to go bankrupt. And number two, you have to embrace technology. Eh? Like We're in a world right now, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Technology advancements are happening so fast, you got to be at the bleeding edge, right? You look at drones, for example. I love drones. My kids love drones. Drones will impact the way we get groceries now. Mm -hmm. you know, we're not even shopping because of the pandemic, but when Amazon soon launches drone delivery of groceries, right, that will fundamentally disrupt. Right in your industry. backyard. <laughs> Artificial intelligence is another one. You know, you, you look at coaching and people say coaching is part art and part science. Well, the science of coaching is also changing now because athletes, whether you're football, basketball, hockey, soccer, you're putting little microchips, right? In your, in your cleats, and now you're getting live dynamic GPS information, acceleration, G-force, and then mm -hmm. you have an artificial intelligence blockchain-enabled supercomputer figuring out what the best permutation and combination of those athletes are together. Whoo, all of a sudden, you as a coach need to be able to understand those analytics tools yeah. so that the artistry that you have, the art part of coaching, gets aligned with the science part of coaching, which is accelerating really, really fast. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, there is, and then also some work being done in, on the nutrition and the recovery side as well, yeah. because for a lot of times, at least in 10 years when I was playing, the rest and the recovery and nutrition was always best practices, but we didn't know my body, what it needed versus somebody else's body. It's different, yes. different types, different rest, have a different lifestyle. Yeah. I think now the science and the AI is at a level that I can tell you, you need to sleep eight hours today. This person needs five, and then you can be the optimal recovery yeah. for the for your game, right? And if you thought it was bad with you, Tanvir, in 2008, you should see it was like for me back 30 years. There was no such science, right? So, uh, you know, this is why old timers like me, Tanvir, when we play soccer right now, you know, our warm up is uh, putting the keys in the bag after we park the car. That's the warm up, right, on the way to the field. It's bad, very bad. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm still doing my 20 minute warm ups just from the injuries. <laughs> Well, awesome. Last question for you here, um, Dr. Bontes. 
Students that are student athletes graduating this year or didn't play this year because of the pandemic, one piece of advice for them to make the transition to the real world. So first and foremost, you got to have open collaboration. You, your, your friends, your parents, and your coaching staff, okay? Like, I mean, let's be honest. With, with, with you sports canceling sports, a lot of the interaction between coaches and varsity athletes ha, ha, has been limited, right? It, it, you know, maybe you have a Zoom call every now and then, depending on the sport. That doesn't mean that you can't reach out to your coach and speak to the coach and find out, hey, what do you think the probability is of us returning next season? B, what do you think of my role if we return next season? Should I extend my eligibility? You know, what is the decision-making tree between me graduating and securing a job versus me extending into another year on campus? That's an open conversation, Tanvir, that you have to have with multiple people, your parents and your coaches. If you want my advice, and I don't know everybody, and everybody's situation is different, staying on campus for another year if you're given the opportunity is always a good idea. And the reason why, Tanvir, is because it's going to take some time for the business environment to recover fully, okay? Even if all of a sudden, the presidents and the prime ministers all over the world said, it's over, we're good to go, everybody get back to normal. That doesn't mean that the economy is back to normal. So you don't necessarily wanna start your future career in a denouement depressed economic situation. You wanna start your career in an upswinging recovery mode economic situation. And there's no better place to do that than in school where you're adding to your skills and you have the freedom of an extended year of eligibility. Absolutely. And, and, and for all the students there, if you can, if you get one more year, take it. It's the best time of your life. Hey man, I, I left a banking career to go back for my fifth year. This was 30 years go. ago. That's, that's Dr. Bunt is telling all you guys, you better hit ready to listen up. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, that, that was one of the most motivational, inspirational, most energetic episodes of this show. Thank you so much for jumping on. It was a pleasure. Well, thank you, Tanvir, for reaching out. Uh, you know, let's, let's do this again sooner rather than later. All, right? all the best. I love what you're doing. Keep up the awesome work, man. All the best. Team, remember to like, subscribe, and share with a friend. And visit TanvirVango.com for a ton of free content and exercises.